Good morning. Um, my name is Dustin, um, as Sam said earlier, and I'm uh, a pastor in Vidalia at Connection, and so um, I'm just excited to be here. Actually, um, I think the last time I was here was actually the first few night services you guys had in the old elementary. How many of y'all were there for that? Just curious. Yeah, a few of you? Awesome. And what's cool is that if you weren't there, um, the benefits of people sacrificing their time and um, for Jesus has got you here. Amen. And so um, what's cool is, is I was actually thinking about this on the way over here is that all of us are building in some way off of somebody else's faith, right? So like we, we think Bible characters, y'all, like we think Paul and Peter and John, all these people are so far back, but really we're just continuing the message that um, has made its way to us. And now with, now it's kind of our turn, right? It's our turn to um, give back and sacrifice for the souls of those who don't know Jesus. Amen. Um, And so I'm just excited to be here. If you have your Bibles, um, I hope you do. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. I was talking to Jeremy this week, and uh, he he told me, I guess it was Monday, he called me, and he said um, that God's been moving in the church is kind of what is the premise of what he was saying. And he said, Dustin, basically, he was kind of encouraging me not to screw it up, you know. And I was like, Jeremy, here's the deal. If I could have screwed up God moving, I would have screwed it up a long time ago. Amen? Like, if, if God moving has anything to do with us, then we're doomed anyways, right? If salvation has anything to do with us and our ability, we never could achieve it. We never could even get to a point where we deserved it. But rather, out of God's grace, Romans 5 tells us that he sent his son to the cross for us. And through that, through a true understanding of that is what leads us to praising him like we did this morning. Amen? And then it extends as a Monday through Saturday thing not just on Sunday mornings. And so um, I'm excited. I was driving way over here too, and I was thinking, and there's two reasons I knew I was coming into Millen, right? I mean, I'm not super familiar with Millen. I went to school at Georgia Southern, and so um, I kind of know it. I've hunted up here some, but there's two reasons. Number one, from Vidaia to Millen, um, there's a lot of roadkill. And the reason is, is because there's a lot of country, right? A lot of two-lane road on the way. Second reason, which is probably a little more applicable to you guys, is on the, the, the bridge of death, I might call it, up here on 25, I saw a cop turn somebody around and put his blue lights on him for speed and coming across the bridge. And so um, I may or may not have got a ticket for that same reason on that bridge when I was in college. So I'm a little bitter if you can't tell. Um, so anyways, if you have your Bibles, um, I would like to read a couple verses. We'll just read First uh, Peter chapter 2. We'll read verses 9 and 10. And then we'll come back to it and work our way through uh, this whole text. But um, this morning, really, guys, the, the idea we, I want to get across and um, the, the thing that I think that if we can understand this, that will sink into our minds and our hearts is that um, we can understand that our identity in Christ makes us new. We understand that we've become a new creation, right? Second Corinthians 5 tells us that. And so um, the old has passed away, the new has come, right? So we understand that. But we also would understand that we don't have to be naive when we go into the world, right? So like Paul and Peter didn't live in a time. And, and I think it's easy for us to get this way as we get so close-minded in our Christian worldview that we expect the world to conform to us, Right? Like we, we get to a place where we're so naive and so closed-minded that we, we expect the outside world to put laws in and follow the Bible. Well, news to us, right? That's probably not going to happen. If you know much about the Old Testament, Israel didn't do well with blessing. Right? Israel didn't do well with um, times when, when the government was um, for them, right? It's, it's when it was the opposite going on that, uh, that, that things would happen. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of trouble. And so if we understand that, that um, 
when Peter's writing this, you guys, when we pick this up and we read it, that's exactly what he's writing to. He's writing to a group of people that are being suppressed, a group of people that um, are being pushed away for their faith, and now he's writing to them, um, basically telling them to stand firm, right? That he's reminding them who they are in Christ so that when they um, leave and go into the world, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to work and you're not surrounded by people who love Jesus, rather, you can understand your identity and you can go into the world and not conform to it, but you can be a light in it, right? Like, like we can be um, who we are, and um, we can still uh, navigate our way through the world, understanding who God has made us and how we can win people to Christ. Amen. And so that's kind of what's going on in what the, the 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 nowadays terms for what Peter is writing to him. So I just want to read two verses and pray, and then we'll work our way back through it. Verse nine says this in Second Peter or First Peter. I'm sorry, chapter two. It says, "But you are a chosen people." a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If, if you're one underlining, if you're a scripture, Bible person, underline royal priesthood. We'll come back to that and we'll talk more about it. It's very important when you can understand what Peter is getting at. He says, we're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. That's us. He says, once you were not a, a, a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so basically he's reminding them that we have become new. We've gone from darkness to light and he has saved us. Amen. And so we'll unpack some of this and it'll get good. Let's pray together though and we'll jump in. Father, God, we love you so much and we we come to you now just thankful for what you've done in our life. Lord, every one of us in here, Lord, have things that we don't deserve. Lord, every none of us in here could have done enough to uh, save ourselves to deserve being saved or deserve the cross for God, but out of your grace, Lord, God, you gave it to us, Lord. Better than any sickness we could be healed from on earth, better than any um, amount of money or raise we could receive at work, God, better than any of that, the, the best news in the world is that you went to the cross to forgive us for our sins so that we could walk in a relationship with you for eternity. Lord, so let that seep down into our hearts, Lord. Let our minds be on eternal things. Let our um, understanding of who you've made us in Christ come real to us this morning. Lord, and uh, just speak to us, Father. We, we need you to remind us. We need you to, God, as Romans 12, 1 says, um, to, to change our minds, to be growing in our minds and our heart, Lord, and just grow us into who you want us to be. Father, we love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. So I know I'm in Millen. I got a quick question for you guys. How many of y'all um, enjoy riding four-wheelers or buggies or something like that. Okay, I got to have some hands. Okay, I knew that that would had to be the, the direction I needed to go being here. But um, think about this. So when I was um, probably in, in high school, probably teenager, 13 or 14, how many of y'all know what I would be talking about if I referred to deer camp? Like a, a place you go to deer hunt. Anybody got deer camp? Go deer hunt? Okay. So um, we had a place when I was growing up that we called deer camp. We'd go and deer hunting. And um, early in September, we would go and we'd plant food plots, right? And so my dad would be on the tractor. And I was at that age where I was old enough to um, be able to take off on the four-wheeler myself. But I was also old enough where my dad would kind of keep an eye on me because he knew I was still young enough to do dumb things, right? Like I, don't, I really don't know if we ever outgrow that age, right? I mean, we're all going to at some point do something not smart. And so um, I, I would, I would kind of always be testing the boundaries. Well, one day we were uh, going along and 
Um, we were planting on this little area we called Rabbit Land, right? My dad had beagles growing up, and so we would rabbit hunt with them. And he had leased a piece of property solely for us to be able to uh, run the, the beagles on and, and chase rabbits and do all the redneck things that we did, right? And so um, we, we would be doing that. And so while he was planting the, the power line, I had kind of sneaked off, and it was easy to get off of our property and get onto somebody else's because in the middle of the power line is where the property line was. And so um, I drive up it, and I turn a right, and I find this really, uh, cool kind of lane in the pines and I follow the fuller down there and I ended up seeing corn on the ground and it seems like this cool place to hunt and I'm thinking man these guys got it going on right I'm on remind you I'm on somebody else's property and so I come up on corn and I see a corn feeder and before I know it I'm I'm in my mind already kind of convicted because if my dad knew I was on somebody else's property I'm in trouble with him but um, I'm, I'm driving and I'm hoping that he doesn't find out and so the whole time I'm kind of under conviction right I'm like kind of feeling this thing going on and so um, I drive a little further and I get near the trough and as I'm looking in the trough to see what's in it I look up and I catch the glimpse of a trail camera right how many of y'all know what a trail camera is okay I'm busted right like at that point I'm immediately conviction comes over me right like now I'm not just worried about my dad getting me in trouble I'm not just worried about um what could happen to me my dad's belt or something right now I'm kind of could be in trouble with the law and just let you know there's not many bright red-haired people walking around in Talaferro County okay it's like there's like 10 people in the whole county right and so smaller than Jenkins County so um I'm busted my dad has red hair so if they see him they're probably going to think that the red-headed kid on their trail camera so um like all good sinners do we start trying to find a way out of it right like how are we going to get out of it and so um a couple things crossed my mind first one is this you steal the trail camera right think about if you steal the trail camera guess what happens no evidence right they're not getting me then but that's what most of you sinners would do right y'all are bad people so y'all here's what I'm thinking I can, listen, I can lesser the, the sin, I can lesser what I've done wrong and not give them such a bad punishment, and I can reach inside the trail camera because I know exactly how they work, right? And I can take the SD card out that they save images to and take the SD card, and I don't take their $200 camera, I just take a $10 SD card, right? Like, we lesser the, the punishment. We, we want to make ourselves feel better for what we've done wrong, and so we find ways to justify a little bit and make it seem less worse. And so I steal the SD card, and long story short um the sd card was 32 gigabytes and the ones that we used were like eight gigabytes um and so my dad ended up finding out that we got a 32 gigabyte uh, sd card and started questioning me and i thought i was smart enough to get out of it and ended up i got busted anyways right and so um, my dad found out but the law didn't so maybe it was a win maybe not but listen i tell you all that because i want you to think about the the, the last time that you really felt conviction like you knew you were doing something wrong Right, like you're you're walking in disobedience to God. You're you're doing things you know are wrong, and you're not repenting of it. Right? That's listen. That's a rightful feeling when we hear of Jesus. When we come to an understanding of who God is, how holy He is, how perfect He is, and the opposite of how um how awful we are, how dirty our hearts are. Right? The the first line of that song, I love Living Hope. Why? Because it says, "How great the chasm that lay between us." right? That chasm is a holy, perfect God and sinful people, right? And there's this huge Grand Canyon-like chasm that comes, um, that separates us from a holy God because we're not holy, right? And then the good news is that Jesus comes and his cross is like laying a bridge across it, and now we get to walk to the Father, right? Listen, the, the goal of Jesus, and I, I always have to separate this, the, 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 the good news of Jesus is not that he becomes a bridge to heaven, right? 
Heaven's a side effect of coming to know Jesus, but it's the bridge that we get to come to God and know God, right? God is our prize in the gospel, right? God is our prize in what Jesus did on the cross. Heaven is a side effect, right? Like heaven is who we are. If you want heaven without Jesus, then heaven's not going to be great, right? We probably won't be there. We haven't understood how great Jesus is, but rather the cross was a way to get us to God and not just to heaven, right? And so here's the deal. Here's the whole point of me telling you that is to introduce this scripture, but really to introduce it this way is that that feeling you get, y'all, when that, that the same feeling I had when I realized I was caught, I realized I was condemned for what I had done wrong, and here's the deal, rightfully condemned, right? Like, I should feel um, wrong. I should know in my heart that there's conviction that I've done something wrong. That's the, that's the bad news of the gospel, right? Like, that's not the bad news, but that's the, the news that makes us realize that we need a Savior, right, is that we have done something wrong. And so if we can understand that, we can realize that God loved us so much, he didn't leave us there, right? Check this out. The, the, the most memorable verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. what is it? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? Here, great news. That is the greatest news in the world is that in our conviction, in our sin, God sent his son as a way out to get to him when we couldn't earn it ourselves. Here's the next verse, though. We forget it a lot. John three seventeen. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it, right? And so here's the cool part. When we come before a holy God, we should feel condemned in the same way that I felt condemned when I realized I was caught on the trail camera, but God didn't leave us there. He saved us, and when salvation happens, we get a new identity in Christ, and then we start walking in it, amen? And so that's where we pick up. We pick up after we have realized that we're sinful and we need a Savior, and then Peter starts writing to us in verse 4 of First Peter chapter 2. So read with me in these few verses if you have it. I just want to take our time getting through it, and then I want to really be able to spend some time with a couple things to pull from it. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, he's saying, as you and I come to Jesus, the living stone, check this out, rejected by humans, right? So when we come to Jesus, when we are now in Christ, rejection is going to come. Right? So if you've come to Jesus expecting no persecution, then newsflash, let's get in our Bibles. Right? They lived in it. It was normal. It wasn't, how am I going to navigate the next persecution? It's, I'm in it now, so let me learn to walk in it. Right? Let me learn to find joy in tough circumstances. Right? Here's the cool part. If Jesus is our prize and not heaven, we're not trying to do just enough to get to heaven. We're learning that we can have the benefits of a relationship with God on earth despite our circumstances. Right? And so when rejection comes by humans, it doesn't really affect us, just like Peter is telling them that it's going to come, but it shouldn't affect us. He says, but chosen by God and precious to him, Jesus. Verse 5, he says, you also, he's saying us, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, right? So he's saying, now we're coming into the kingdom, we're being built into a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood, Let me, I'm going to explain that in a minute. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the cool part. Let me pause here, and when we get down to verse 9, it'll explain it a little more, too. But here's the cool part. I don't know how much you know about um, Jews before Christ, right? But what would happen is you had the Holy of Holies where a priest would hang out, and he would kind of, he would tend to the temple, right? And here's the crazy part, is the only way that somebody could be connected to God was through the priest, right? So you and I 
If we were just random old Jews living about 4,000 years ago, we couldn't just have a relationship with God, right? Like we say, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Or um, you need to be in a relationship with what the whole mission of the church is about. What's the mission of the church? To connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That's what we're about. Here's the deal. In the Old Testament, that couldn't happen, right? You had to have a mediator, another person mediate for you. So it was like God, y'all follow me with this, a priest, and then us, right? And so when he says when Jesus came, he did away with the priesthood. He did away with all of that. And now guess what? It's God, and when he saves you, check this out. He doesn't just move you in line with the priest. It says that he seats us at the right hand of the Father. Bam. Like, we come up here with God, right? So what do we call that? What's the theological term to give you some depth? They call it a royal priesthood, meaning we're all royal priests. We're all now able to come to the presence of God. Here's the cool part. That means that you can read scripture just like I do. Listen, I used to be in student ministry. I used to tell the students all the time, I don't have to go in a closet and get weird meditation things and, and do oblah or whatever you do, right? Like people think preachers do, right? You have the same access to God that I do because all of our access to God comes through the work of Christ on the cross and we don't have to have anybody mediate for us, right? Now, sure, he set up the church to have somebody teach and preach and lead the church like Jeremy does, and that's what we see in Scripture. But the cool part is, is that every single one of you can come to God freely because you're a, you are a royal priesthood. You don't have to have a mediator in a band or a mediator in a preacher or a mediator of anything. You can be in a right standing and in a relationship with God because Jesus made you a royal priesthood, right? Listen. If you knew my life, and I don't mean like I'm out doing crazy things, but if you could get into my head and see the pride and shameful thoughts and lust and just everything that goes on in my head, you would think that I shouldn't be standing up here just like you probably should rightfully think about yourself, right? Like, like listen, I'm not saying that I'm out like doing things that are obvious sins. I'm saying that I'm battling my flesh just like you are. Right? Like, we're even playing field. It's not you and then me and then Jeremy and then this great preacher you listen to on the radio and then Jesus, right? Like, once you come to Christ, once you understand what he's done for you, we all come across the chasm and we all get to be equal with Christ and sit at the right hand of the Father, right? I hope that royal priesthood makes more sense to you than just saying, oh, royal priesthood, right? What it means is that that's been done away with. I don't know if you know much about um, the Reformation in the Catholic Church, but this was a big deal, right? In the, in, the, in the Catholic Church, and this is not demeaning, and they could be our brothers and sisters in Christ if they believe in Jesus for their salvation, right? But some of their theology leads us to think that we have to come before somebody else to have them pray over our sins, right? And if we read scripture, either we're all royal priests or we all need a mediator, right? And Jesus came to say that I was the single mediator between you and God. Now you don't have to have somebody else mediate for you. If you want to be forgiven for your sins, you ask God for forgiveness. You repent from them, turn away and turn to Christ, and you can be forgiven right now. You don't need me to intercede on your behalf. Christ has already done that. Amen? And that's some great news. Verse 6, we'll finish working our way through it. I got to go, I got to hurry. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, 
and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He's talking about Jesus to come. Listen, the whole thing he's quoting here is he's quoting Isaiah, and, and he's bringing in this idea of this, this, this cornerstone that the temple was built on, and every illustration he's given us is coming back to the temple. So that, that, that priest that I was talking about is the same temple that they're talking about laying stones for to build it, right? Just as this school was built, right? Listen to this. Just as this school was built on a foundation, so was the temple, and they're saying that's kind of like what we're doing. Christ was the cornerstone, and we're being built into a spiritual house, a kingdom with God, and so the illustration that Peter's using makes a ton of sense if you understand the Old Testament. Verse 7, it says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected, right? Once again, these people are rejecting Christ, has become the cornerstone. So now they're building on a bad stone rather than the cornerstone, the good stone. Verse 8, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Let me finish this verse. It says, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So check this out. When it says that Christ is the cornerstone, here's another cool thing for you to understand that's coming from this. Is it, It's literally the first stone that was laid for them to build the temple on, right? I don't mean to bore you with this, but it can make a lot of sense for you if you can understand what Peter's drawing out here, right? So he's the cornerstone. What he's saying is what that means in cornerstone is Greek is that it was perfect. It was square, right? How many of y'all have ever like laid brick before, right? Brick or anything like that, right? If you get the first one off, if the first one's not perfectly square and on line, what happens? Everything you build on top of that is completely off and misses the point, misses what it's going for, right? And so here's the deal. If we were to build on something other than Christ and build on one of us, none of us are perfect. None of us are a good, perfect, square cornerstone. That cornerstone that we're building off of was a perfect one, right, in Christ. And so now we're building off of Christ and what he's done. That's why when you hear things like Christ is the head of the church, right, you hear that idea? It's because we're building off of the perfect cornerstone, so to speak, in Christ, which is also a reflection back to the Old Testament temple. And so it makes a lot of sense when you can understand that, listen, if they were building this school and the foundation's off, right? If you start and it's not perfectly square and one side's longer than the other, the whole school's going to be built off, right? So that first um, thing that you do when you start is super important, and that's the same thing they're drawing out on. Two more verses, and we'll begin to unpack it. It says, but you are a chosen people. It's talking to us, talking about our identity. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Remember that again. What does that mean? It means that we don't need anybody mediating force. Jesus already did that. A holy nation, which means you and I are called to be set apart. We're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what does it mean that we're royal priests? How does that change our identity, right? There's three things I want to um, help you understand from this passage that I think are big ideas. If you're taking notes, this will be the first one. It's that you will be rejected by the world, right? So that's like, what's this guy talking about, right? Like, what, what does rejected mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's not good news, Dustin. That sounds tough, right? Well, here's the deal, y'all. If you think about it this way, it means that things are going to get tough at some point, right? It's not 
if you get rejected, if you're following Christ. If you're following Christ wholeheartedly, the spectrum of um, what it means to be rejected and suffer, right? Anything from criticism to cancer is suffering for Christ, right? So if you go to work tomorrow, it is just as much suffering if you get belittled and somebody makes fun of you for how you follow Jesus. That is just as much suffering as it is if you or I get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow and we suffer for Christ in the midst of circumstances and we still pursue him, right? So anywhere on that spectrum from little to big or what RIC as little to big is suffering for Christ, right? And so when that happens, we become rejected by the world. We'll get belittled, right? And rejection comes, but we have to stand firm and knowing what God has said about us and knowing um, what he has done for us speaks louder than anything the world can speak to us, amen? That has to become normal. Think about it this way. How many of y'all hate Alabama football? Right? Okay. I don't like them. If you're an Alabama fan in here, I love you as a brother in Christ, but as a football fan, don't like you, right? I just don't. So, Lord, help me forgive them, right? But uh, it's just tough. So, um, I think about it this way. One of the reasons I don't like them, if I'm honest, right, is because they have something I don't have, right? I naturally reject them because at the end of the season, they normally end up with a trophy that I don't have as a Georgia fan. Right? Like, it's just true. Like, I don't like them because of something that is kind of true. That's how it's like when you get rejected by the world, right? Like, they have something they see in you. They don't like it because it's different. We're different. They're set apart, right? They're different than me. They're different than us, and it's the same thing, right? Now, here's the deal. In our society, don't get me started, but we, we might end up with a trophy because it's just normal. Everybody gets a trophy nowadays, right? But let's be real. If it's not the national championship trophy, then if you're second or you're fourth, you're a loser. Can I get an amen? I mean, come on now. Like, if I can get amen on something, that's it this morning, you know? So, but here's the deal. We're, we're going to be rejected, right? It's going to become normal for us to get to a place for that to happen. And so, listen, rejection is coming, right? If you live when you leave here for people's approval, this is a quote from Lecrae. It says, if you live here for people's approval, you'll die from their rejection, right? Like, you're going to leave here, and if you're living for any approval, then what God has already said to us, what Jesus already did for us on the cross by making us royal priest, right? He says, Lecrae says, if you live for people's approval when you leave here, you'll die from their rejection, right? It's going to happen. It's going to come. It's not an if, it's a when. Amen? Make sense? Really hope so. Number two, which we'll spend a little more time on speaking about our identity in Christ, it's this, if you're taking notes. Your identity is received from God, not achieved in this world, Right? So our identity is received from God. It intrinsically comes to us from the Creator. It's not given to us from creation, right? This is one of the big issues that happens with Paul when he talks about it in Romans 1. I want you to think about it this way. If we look for our identity in anything other than something that God gives us, then we're going to be tossed to and fro. We're going to have no way we can stand firm, right? I usually use the illustration that um, when you put a cup down and waves come, right, and there's nothing inside the cup, you red solar cup, you pour the water and it just gets tossed to and fro, right? But you have the cup there and you put an identity in it, you put some liquid in it, you realize who you are in Christ, then those same waves come. And because there's some foundation, because there's some of what you understand about what God has said for you, because you're in the word reminding yourself of who God's made you, those waves come and the cup just stands still in the middle of it. 
right? It doesn't move. It's not tossed to and fro. Let me give you another example to understand how fleeing it is when you find your identity in something other. Listen, if you find your identity in sports, at some point it's going to get taken. If you find your identity in kids, I pray to God it's not taken, but there's still the possibility it can get taken, right? Like we've got to find our identity in something that's not going to be shaken, right? That, that leads us in a place that no matter what life throws at us, we can stand firm on it and know that it's not going to be taken. Listen, if our prize is Christ, Jesus gives us our identity, then the promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us becomes real because when life comes, right, then you have an identity. Listen, it doesn't matter if you get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, you still have Christ, doesn't matter if you get criticized at work tomorrow for being belittled in your faith in Jesus because guess what? You still have Christ, right? So if Jesus is our goal, if we're not just trying to do enough to get over the hump, to be good enough to get into heaven, and instead we twist that and our prize becomes Christ and Christ is all we want and Christ is who our identity is in, then guess what? That will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what comes, right? And listen, Tons of people end up leaving the faith because they're given a false idea of what their identity looks like when they come to church. Right? Like they come to church and they're told, come to Jesus and maybe you'll become a millionaire. Come to Jesus and maybe you'll be healed. Listen, I think God loves us and he wants all that for us, right? But listen, the prize in coming to Jesus is not to get those things, right? It's to get Jesus, right? The prize in coming to Christ is not to get something from God, but to get God himself, right? So if you come to Jesus wanting Jesus, you'll have something that will never leave you no matter your circumstances, right? But if you come to Jesus only wanting your circumstances to be changed, then when your circumstances become what you don't want them to be, then now you have a reason to leave Jesus. Does that make sense? So we have to get down to have a foundation of what it looks like for our identity to be truly set in Christ. Think about this with me. It's a great illustration to help you understand on kind of how fleeting the world is, right? Like how changing the world is and how if you look for the world for your identity, you'll always be changing. Think about this. This is an illustration from Tim Keller, but he says this. He says, think of a guy from the Anglo-Saxon time period, right? So that's like 800 AD, right? So like probably about, I don't know, 1,200 years ago, long time ago, right? Back then, everything was barbaric. Right, so what happened? So it was normal for men to want to fight all the time. It was normal for men. Like they were celebrated for, the, for having anger. Like if they wanted to go out and kill somebody, they clapped for it. Right? Because it meant you were a man. It meant you could defend your family. They didn't have rifles and guns and helicopters to come. It was, it was you versus them. Right? So being a man was good. It was barbaric. They celebrated that. Like anger was celebrated. But in the same time period, if you had feelings of, of, being, um, of having homosexual attraction, they said that is not normal. You need to suppress it. That's not what we're about in this society. Right? Here's the crazy part. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount that both are wrong. Right? Like, can I get an amen? Like, both are wrong, right? Now, here's the deal. Because I struggle with anger, and maybe somebody else struggles homosexual attraction, that doesn't make me any lesser or higher than them, right? It's just sin in general. We all have struggles. Fast forward about 1,200 years to today's times. If you go out and tell people you have fits of anger, and you want to demolish stuff, and you want to fight all the time, what are they telling you? Suppress that right? Suppress that, that you don't need to act like, you don't need to feel those things. That is bad. Go see a counselor, 
Right? Like that's how we see it. Those things are terrible. You need to go see somebody to help you work on that. 1,200 years later, if somebody has feelings of homosexual, what does the world tell them? They have same-sex attraction. What does the world tell them? It's okay. It's normal. Be a cornerstone. You can be a society changer. You can be popular. You can be praised for that. It's okay. Listen, I'm not saying that's okay. What I'm saying is, is that in 1,200 years, we have now taken something that we used to suppress. Now we celebrate it. And something we used to celebrate, now we suppress Y'all follow me with that? Like, here's the deal. If you look to culture at any point, whether it's 2019 or whether it's 856 AD, right, 1,200 years ago, either way, you're going to lay a grid of your life. You're going to look to culture to tell you who who you are, and it's going to be fleeting, right? You need intrinsic, which means that it comes from something inside you that's given by something extrinsic, which is given to you by God that will help you have an identity that sustains anything that culture throws at you, right? And the identity we have from that is Christ. And here's the deal. Listen, I don't use that illustration because it's easy to use in church, right? Like, listen, the the church I was at, I got to serve for a little while um, in Dublin as the interim pastor there. And when I was there, we had two couples that came kind of as homosexuals that came, right? So I'm not saying that, listen, we've got to love them, right? And above anything else, we've got to. Their sin is not higher. Listen, just like I'm not higher than you because I'm preaching and you're not, right? Like just, we're all on an even playing field. We're all 100% sinful. It's not that you only need 79% of Jesus and they need um, like 89% of Jesus. We all need Jesus 100%, Right? Not one of us could even make it one step towards Christ. We would fall on our face. We all need Christ holy. We need him to give us a new identity, and we need him to change our heart and life in a way that only he can. Amen? So listen, our identity is received from God. It's not achieved by culture because if you look for culture, if you look when you leave out of here, if you go looking for an identity in your job, it's going to be fleeting. If you go looking for your identity in work so you can make more money, it's going to be fleeting. If you go looking for your identity and how good your son is at baseball, it's going to be fleeting, right? Your identity has to come from something that won't change. The only thing that's not going to change is what Christ did on the cross, and it's the only thing that gives us an identity that can withstand any circumstances, right? Like, we've got to get to the bottom, We've got to get to the bottom of what Christ has done for us so we can understand. I really hope that makes sense, you guys. I hope that you can understand what Christ has done for us. Third thing is this, my last point, and then we'll have a few. I got a couple encouragements for you guys. Is The third thing is this, is once you understand the first two, you have to know what God has declared about you, right? Like, we have to understand what God has made new. We have to understand... Um, what God has said about us. Now, there's a, a spectrum on this, right? So what has God said about us? The first thing he said about us leads us, every single one of us in here, to being 100% humble. What God has really said, I, I hear this all the time, the gospel's defensive in some ways, right? Like, what God has said is that, listen, Dustin, you're so bad, you're so weak, you're so non-deserving, you're so um, opposite of me, you're not near as holy, there's this huge chasm, right? He has told me that there's no way that I could clean myself up enough to make me right before God right? There's nothing about me that could save myself. That's humbling, right? Like everyone, there's nothing we can do to, um, 
to, to get ourselves to a place where we could be accepted by God. The only way we could be accepted by God was by Christ, what he did on the cross, okay? We get to the other side, and now we get this boldness and confidence. Listen, not through self-righteousness, not from um, coming to church on Sundays, not from being financially stable, not from looking like we have it all together. We get it because now we have confidence in what Christ has done, not because of what we can do, right? So listen, there's like this dichotomy, right? It's these two big ideas. We have this supernatural humility that comes from Christ because it shows us that we cannot save ourselves. But on the other hand, we get this supernatural confidence in Christ because we know that it doesn't rely on us, that we can put faith in what Christ has done and we're okay. We can come before God, right? And so you have bold confidence and humility all in one wrapped together, which is perfect. Listen, you know who else had those things perfectly? Jesus. Right? Like he humbled himself to endure the cross, but he was God, so he knew he was confident enough that he was going to raise from the dead. Like it wasn't a surprise to him. He's not like, oh man, now I got to go to earth and die for these people. Right? Like God's bigger than that. He knew it, right? There was prophecies thousands of years before that that there was a Savior coming that was going to do that, right? So how do we do this? How do we get ourselves to a place where we can remind ourselves of this? The best illustration I have. I wanted to share is, how many of y'all know what nutgrass is? If you know what nutgrass is, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's terrible, right? If you ever farm or plant food plots or anything like can y'all hear me fine without this? I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. So if you plant food plots or anything, what happens is, is um, nutgrass will start coming up, right? And if you only spray nutgrass, what happens? It dies for a couple days, and eventually it comes back, right? This is kind of how our identity in Christ is, right? If you only, listen, if you're banking on your identity in Christ, and you're trying to live off an emotional experience you had about 10 years ago, what's going to happen is the world's eventually going to infiltrate your mind and your heart, and it's going to eventually make you get to a point where um, you forget who God has said you are, right? You forget what Christ has done for you, right? Listen, even if you bank off an emotional experience from last Sunday, right? Like, you have to have something more than that. There has to be something deeper. The only way that you're going to keep it away is by getting in the Word daily, reminding yourself of the gospel, right? Reminding yourself that you have to be humble before Christ because you couldn't save yourself, but also understanding Christ has made you new. He's given you an identity that can't be shaken, and now you get to walk in that, right? So, the same way with nutgrass, you have to kill it one time. The way you get rid of it is, listen, you have to harrow it up. Right? Like you don't, if you, I'm telling you, if you just spray nutgrass, it's not going. You have to hair it up about three times. And check this out. It's so invasive, like the world is to us, like Satan is to us. He wants to get in there and make us forget who we are in Christ, right? If you don't um, work on it, if you don't tend to it, if you don't tend to what it can uh, do to you, then eventually it's going to spring back up and it's going to become something that's going to just get inside of your food plot and never leave again, right? That's exactly what the world's doing with our identity in Christ. Is what happens is, is we, um, we have to be able to go to something every single day, right? Not weekly. Like, listen, if you're banking on your identity to be found by just coming to church once a week, the world's going to kill you, right? If you're banking on your identity on something that happened 10 years ago, you're probably pretty close. You're probably pretty run down. So what we have to do is we have to, number one, 
have a meeting with God's word every single day so that he can remind us who we are and remind us what he's done in, for us in Christ, right? I want you to think about this. The way something gets its value, gets its identity, is by what somebody's willing to pay for it. Does that make sense? Like, think about this with me. I remember a couple months ago, I was um, at a, a car dealership, and I was buying a car. And when I was in there, I see a few of the salesmen coming by, and that salesman that was selling us a car had been uh, coming back from talking with a finance manager, and he was on his way back, and he's laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing about? And he said, you won't believe what happened. But he starts telling me the story. How many of y'all remember who Greg Olson is? Maybe not. Any big Braves fans? Greg Olson? I'm not talking about the tight end from the Panthers that if you play fantasy football, you probably think I'm talking about. But um, Greg Olson was the catcher for the Braves in like 91 when they lost to the Twins, okay? So I don't know if y'all are Braves fans, but I am. So what happened is Greg Olson, it, 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 the, the story will come around because y'all didn't know who Greg Olson was, okay? That was kind of what I was hoping. I'm not making you feel bad for it. But what happened is Greg Olson called the dealership, which I was up near Atlanta. He said, hey, I'll film a commercial or record a commercial for the radio, right? And you can give me a truck in payment and we'll just say it's equal. And we're, they were like, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I don't know about that, right? So they, they went to the customers that were sitting around, they're like, do you know who Greg Olson is? And they're like, well, the tight end for the Panthers. And they're like, no, nah, that's not him. The catcher from the Braves back in 91, which is like almost 20 years ago now, right? So basically what they're saying is, man, nobody knows who you are, right? We're not willing to give you a $50,000 F-150 for a commercial that nobody knows who you are, right? I mean, it's just pointless. You're, the value, what they were willing to pay was not worth what he was offering. Does that make sense? Like, there was not an equal thing there. So what happened is they said, maybe we'll give you a few oil changes, right? They didn't really say that. That would have been awful. But, but think about it with me. The, 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 the difference there, what they realized there is that what they were willing to pay was not near equal for what he thought he was worth, right? I, had a, I have an uncle who... Um, who made a lot of money earlier in his life because what he did is he had a company that cleaned skyscrapers, right? So why, why did they make so much money doing that? Because they had to risk their life. You know the only thing that money can't buy? Your life back, right? He, God, listen, God in a snap of a finger could put a million dollars in all of our makeups. In the snap of a finger, he could heal every single thing we're walking through, right? But all of that is fleeting, he knew what meant the most to him, number one, and what should mean the most to us, number two, is when you're willing to give your life to something, that's what means. So what was he willing to give for us? Literally himself. I preached last week, invited, and one thing's wrong. How many of y'all know the hymn where it says the Father turned his face away? Y'all know what I'm talking about? How deep the Father's love for us? And then he says he turned... That is huge. What's happening in that moment is God is literally sinking in our sin, right? So the holy God comes to earth. He lives a perfect life, right? Communion with him and God is perfect. It's been perfect for years and years. And they're in this intimate relationship, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And they're in intimate relationship together. But for a split moment, listen, they had to pause that communion because Jesus became unholy for a split second for my sin and for your sin. Huge. Like, thousands and millions and billions and trillions of years eternity together and it pauses for a split second listen because it's not some third person idea that Jesus took our sin it's literally the worst sin that you've committed in your life he knew you were going to do it and it caused their communion for a second to be turned off 
so that he could take every single one of our shortcomings so that he can he knew what we were going to listen god knows what you're going to do wrong tomorrow it's not going to surprise him right he's not up there scratching his head about cancer and how he can fix it but what meant the most to him was not healing us on earth but forgiving our sins for eternity right he didn't want to make a, a temporary change here on earth. He wanted to make an eternal change for us to have a relationship with him forever. Big difference. And so the overall thing I want you to understand is that when Jesus went to the cross, listen, sure it was to save our souls, but it gives us a whole new identity. Right? He gives us a whole new love to rest in. He gives us um, an identity that doesn't have to change with our circumstances. The last thing I want to ask you guys before we go into a time of worship is this, is I want you to just strip everything back. I'm going to ask you a big, raw question. But why do you worship Jesus? Like, if somebody on the outside came up to you right now and said, why do you worship Jesus? Why do you sing praises to him? Why are you part of a church? Why do you serve a church? Why do you go to church? tough question, right? Like, it should make you think a little bit. If your answer, listen, is because he gave you a wife, that can change. If your answer is, I worship Jesus because he gave me kids, that can change. Because he gave me a house and American dream, that can change. If, if your answer is anything earthly, we've boiled God down to something smaller than what he is, Right? The reason we worship Jesus is because of what he did on the cross and connecting us to the Father, right? We don't worship God. Listen, if we come to Jesus to change earthly circumstances, we do exactly what Paul said led people astray in Romans 1. He says we start worshiping created things rather than what? The creator. My wife was created. The son that I adopted was created. The son that we had the Oscar was created. The house was created. Sports created, hunting created, everything we worship, everything God's given us, most things are created. But if we come to God to worship the creator, he tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so it gives us an identity, listen, that will never change. It gives us something to stand firm on no matter what the world throws at us. What's going to happen? We're going to keep resting in Christ. We're going to keep praising Christ, right? If you want to keep reading 1 Peter, what's even cooler is to make you think that I'm not just coming out of nowhere with this stuff, is that the whole book is about this. 1 Peter 3 talks about how to suffer in Christ. It was normal, right? Like they're getting persecuted, and it's normal for them to suffer in Christ. And so here's my last challenge to you this morning is, listen, get to a place where you're feeding the identity that God wants you to have. Number one, get in the Word. Right? There's no better place for God to speak to you and continue changing your identity and continue to remind who God is to you than being in the Word. Number two is community. I don't know if y'all are here. If you're not in a connect group, that's why we have those. Get in it. And listen, don't just get, have real community. When you're struggling with something deep down, if you're struggling with porn or depression or tough things, lust, right? spill it to them. Because that stuff's going to take you over. The world wants to. But your identity will rest in Christ when you get in community, true community, and you're honest, right? And then number three is don't forget your prize, right? The prize in the gospel is Christ. 
It's not what Christ can give us. It's not the power Christ has to do miracles. It's Christ himself, right? That's why when, um, listen, after in John, in John 5, I could go on and on about this because it's just been huge to me in my life. But after he, he takes the fish and the loaves, right, and he multiplies it and feeds thousands, a couple chapters later, what happens is they come to him and they're like, hey, make us more bread and fish. Do great things for us. And Jesus says one of his I am statements that should blow our mind. He says, I, I am the bread of life, right? Like we can look for miracles to feed us, but the greatest thing we have in Christ is Christ, not what Christ can give us, right? Listen, let your mind rest in that. Let your heart rest. Remind yourself daily that Christ is your prize and having a relationship with him is the greatest thing in the world. Amen. Let's pray together and we'll worship him for what he's done. Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. Thankful for, God, how you changed our life. Lord, I want to pray. I just want to ask this question, God, right now. now. Let me just talk to the people. Just say, if there's anybody in here who's probably struggling, their heart's probably hard. They've probably come to Jesus maybe when they were 10 because they thought Jesus was going to make their life awesome. Let them live an American dream life. And God, they've missed the point. They've missed the prize in the gospel that the prize was you. God, we've come to true salvation when we understand the gospel is good news to get us to you, not heaven. Heaven's a side effect. Heaven's a time where we get to worship you. If we want heaven and not you, God, we've missed the point. Father, I just want to ask now if there's anybody in here who's missed that. If there's anybody in here who says, today I want to come to true faith in Christ. I want a relationship with God. I want, um, the, the, I realize the cross has now led me to you, not what you can give me. There's anybody in here and you say, I want that for the first time. Would you raise your hand? Anybody? Just a quick moment for you to raise your hand, ask yourself. And God, for the rest of us in here, I want to pray quickly. Father, remind us. God, I, I pray now, Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I know that there's people in here that, like myself, struggle with that idea. Lord, help us repent of wanting things from you and not you. God, I pray now that as we sing, Lord, the altar's open. God, I pray that we would be a people that are reminded to seek after you, not what you can give us. Lord, help our identity rest in something solid that'll never be moved, which is what you did for us on the cross. Father, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for what you did for us, Lord, in providing salvation on the cross for us. Lord, remind us of who we are in you. Lord, and help us just praise you for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, we love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you guys can sing. Stand and we're going to sing.